Well, good morning, Marbury. How are you today? Great to see you. I also want to welcome all of our friends who are down at uh, the Marshall campus. I enjoyed being with you guys last Sunday. So shout out to Geo and all the wonderful people down there. So I'm taking a little break from our uh, Mark series for one Sunday today. Access your Bible or open your Bible. Back in the Old Testament, about uh, almost halfway through your Old Testament, you'll find 1 Chronicles chapter 29. Today we're going to talk about investing in God's economy. Investing in God's economy. Well, Super Bowl 56 is coming up next Sunday. You know you're old like I am when you can remember the very first Super Bowl, which was in 1967, when the, where the Green Bay Packers, led by the Alabama star Bart Starr, uh, beat the Kansas City Chiefs. Somebody sent me this funny post this week. It said, posted, an avid Bengals fan, I paid $22,000 for two box seats at the 2022 Super Bowl at SoFi Stadium, February 13. The package includes airport transfers and $500 food and drink credit. I didn't realize when I bought the tickets last year, it was the same day as my wedding. So I'm looking for someone to take my place. If interested, be at St. Paul's Church in Orlando at 3 p.m. Her name is Ashley. She'll be the one in the white dress. <laughs> you know, I pastored there at Green Acres for over 30 years, and sometimes we had members that would join the church, uh, and they would often come up to me, and they'd say, Pastor, I came from a church where the pastor talked a lot about giving money, and I haven't heard you say one thing about giving money to the church. And I said, well, you know what? I, I only talk about it once a year. But I remind the people several times a year that I only talk about it once a year. And uh, it has worked with that congregation because, as I said, they're one of the most generous congregations I know of. Every year for the past 25 years, uh, we finished underspending our budget, over giving our budget with a nice, healthy surplus. Uh, and we built $90 million worth of buildings in that time and were completely debt-free for a number of years. So. Uh, they're a generous congregation. Sometimes people didn't like to hear me talk about giving, except for those who really caught it, who all had, has, they bought into investing in God's economy. They're the ones that set out during a sermon like this, and you can see them smiling. You're, you're so right, Pastor. You're so right. So see how you respond to this. Well, there are about 200 nations on earth that are part of the International Monetary Fund, and the strongest country in the world economically is the United States of America, still ahead of China. And of those 200 nations, when they are ranked, actually Texas would be uh, number nine in all the world. If Texas was its own country, which some of us still think it should be, it would, ha it would have the ninth largest economy in the world. Well, you know there is an American economy, there's a global economy, but also there is something called God's economy. And you say, well, is God's economy up in heaven? No, they don't need money in heaven. The streets are paved with gold. God's economy is operating here among us. Now, I want to give you the background for this passage of Scripture in 1 Chronicles 29. One of my very favorite passages, it's a prayer, and it's going to be our prayer today. This little shepherd boy, King David, had led Israel to become the strongest power and that part of the world, stronger than Egypt, stronger than the uh, Babylonians, the Assyrians, he had led Israel to be the most powerful nation there. And he wanted to build a house for God, a temple, because they've been 
worshiping in this portable tabernacle for, for many, many centuries. And God said, no, David, I'm not going to let you build a temple because you have blood on your hand. You're a soldier. You're not a builder. But your son Solomon will build me a temple. But guess what? I'm going to let you raise the money, David. And so this part of First Chronicles is all about raising the money and raise it they did David gave all of his gold all of his possessions and then the people gave an, uh, an offering and when you added up how much they gave in today's dollars they gave over 30 b billion dollars for the building of the temple so here's David after this offering has been received he prays over it and thanks God so that's where we're going to pick up in first Chronicles 29, verse 10, you're welcome to stand with me as we pray this prayer. Then David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly. David said, here's our prayer today. May you be blessed, Lord God of our father Israel, from eternity to eternity. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the splendor and the majesty for everything in the heavens. And on earth belongs to you. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom, and you are exalted as head over all. Riches and honor come from you, and you are the ruler of everything. Power and might are in your hand, and it is in your hand to make great and to give strength to all. Now, therefore, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Then look at this verse, so powerful. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this for everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your own hand. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. Thanks. Be seated. When I was just seven or eight years old growing up in L.A., lower Alabama, Christmas time would roll around. And my dad would give each one of us kids, all three of us, about $2. And then my mother would drive us down to the 5 and 10 store, the 10 cent store. Remember the dime store, anybody? Yeah, that's. And, and we would take the money my dad gave us and we would buy presents for each other and for my mother and for my father. So on Christmas morning, I would give my dad some handkerchiefs or some socks. I would give my mother something nice. And they would say, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you for giving that to, to us. But, you know, the truth is they gave me the money to buy the gift that I gave to them. What a perfect picture of how God relates to us. Because I want to remind you today that when you give, you are not giving your money to Marberly Baptist Church to support God's work. Ready? You are giving some of God's money through Marbley Baptist Church to support God's work. Now, do yourself a favor. Get into God's economy because the American economy a thousand years from now is going to be gone, but God's economy will last forever. And there are four simple pillars to God's economy. And then I want to give you a simple uh, financial plan that every individual and family can follow. Pillar number one, God's supply. Every blessing in my life comes from God. Every good thing in our lives comes from God. James 1:17 says, every good and perfect gift comes down from above from the Father of lights. I mean, every material gift is from God. Every spiritual gift is a gift from God. 
Every relational gift is a gift from God. Every physical blessing is a gift from God. The fact that your heart is beating this moment. In him we move and breathe and have our being. The fact that you have the strength and you have the mental acuity to understand what I'm saying to you right now, that is a gift from Almighty God. And the Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Now, sometimes people say, well, yeah, pastor, I, I know what you're talking about. And yes, and I, I believe that. But, you know, pastor, I'm, I'm pretty smart myself. I, I went to school. I, I got some degrees or or I, I'm just gifted and know how to make money. I'm an entrepreneur. I, I, I got to take a little bit of the credit for it. Well, you better not. <laughs> because over in Deuteronomy, we have this powerful warning from God. Deuteronomy 8, 8, 17. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember, the Lord your God for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. I mean, God could have just rearranged a couple of molecules up in your head and you wouldn't be nearly as smart as you think you may be, all right? I heard a joke about some scientists that challenged God. They challenged God. They said, you know what, we've, we've cloned animals. We've replicated the human genome. We now can create a human being. So we, we challenge you, God, to create a man. God said, okay, I'll, do, I'll go first. I'll take some dirt, just like I did in Genesis 2, and form it into a man, breathe into its nostrils the breath of life, and became a man. The scientist said, okay, now we'll go. He picked up a handful of dirt. And God said, no, 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 make your own dirt. <laughs> you see, God created everything. Anything that you see in the world that you think somebody has made, God provided the resources for that. So it starts with understanding every good thing is supplied by God. Here's, here's law number two, God's design. God made me to be a channel of blessing, not a container. Very important. He made me to be a channel of blessing, not a container. He made us to manage some of these resources for our temporary time. For the time that we have here on this planet, he's gonna say, he says, I'm going to give you some of my resources and I'm going to let you manage them. But I don't want you to take them and hoard them. Hang on to them. I want you to keep them in circulation. You are a channel. Now, when they built some of the canals years ago, it really changed commerce. In 1825, the Erie Canal connected the Hudson River in New York to the Great Lakes. And in 1869, when they built the Suez Canal from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean, that kept ships from having to sail all the way around the southern part of Africa. And if you saw this past year, there was a bottleneck there at the Suez Canal, and there were hundreds of big ships waiting to go through there. That's what a channel does. It takes you from one place for another to another. And that's what God got, does. He gives you resources not to do this with, but to pass it on. Take it from God and pass it out. He wants you to keep it in circulation. Now, there was a theologian and a preacher who lived back in the uh, 60s. He died in 1963, but I've read every one of his books, and I think you ought to read everything you can ever find written by A.W. Tozer. A.W. Tozer had something important to say about this. He says, there is a disease that is especially virulent 
in the 20th century, well, it's also true the 21st. It's called cirrhosis of the giver. It is an acute condition which renders the patient's hand immobile when it attempts to move from the billfold to the offering plate. The remedy is to remove the afflicted person from the house of God, since it is clinically observable that this condition disappears in environments such as sports stadiums, shopping malls, and restaurants. <laughs> and that is also true around here today. Well, Super Bowl is next week. We know who is not playing in the Super Bowl this year, right? The Dallas Cowboys. Not long ago, Bob Costas was interviewing Jerry Jones and he asked Jerry Jones, what is your biggest fear in life? And without hesitation, Jerry Jones said, my biggest fear is running out of money. Running out of money. Yeah, right. Okay, you bought the Dallas Cowboys for $150 million, and today they're worth $7 billion, and you're afraid you're going to run out of money. Hey, Jerry, if you're watching, you're going to run out of days long before you run out of money. In fact, that's true for most of us. We're going to run out of days before we run out of money. So here is God's design. He designed you not just to receive, but he designed you to receive and to pass on. God willing, in a couple of weeks, I'll be back at the, in Israel. And there are two main bodies of water in Israel. One is the beautiful Sea of Galilee, Lake Gennesaret, the freshwater lake, teeming with fish, fowls. You can drink the water. In fact, the Sea of Galilee is the main water, drinking water source for Israel. Several rivers flow into it from the north, and then one river flows out from the south, the Jordan River, flows about, 70, about 90 miles south to form the Dead Sea. That's the other body of water. The Dead Sea is just by its name. It is dead, totally dead. Nothing lives in it, no waterfowl. You can't even put a boat in it because it would be it would co too corrosive. You, you can drink water of the Dead Sea, but you wish you were dead. It's so full of minerals and magnesia. So what's the difference between these two? One's full of life and one full of death. This one, the Sea of Galilee, receives and passes on. Receives and passes on. And all the Dead Sea does is just receive, receive. So are you a Sea of Galilee person or are you a Dead Sea person? Here's pillar number three, God's cycle. The more generous I am, the more I have to give away. In other words, the more I give, the more generous I am, the more I have to give away. So giving is not only just a good idea, it is the nature of God. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And even salvation is a free gift. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And giving is not just a good idea. It, it is a command of God. In, in Luke chapter 6, Jesus lists several irrevocable spiritual laws. You know, we all know there are laws of nature. You take water and you lower the temperature of that water to 32 degrees Fahrenheit at sea level at standard atmospheric pressure 29.92 and it will freeze. That's the law. Law of gravity. You drop something, it's going to fall. There are irre irrevocable spiritual laws as well. And here is one of them in Luke 6, 38. Jesus said, give. Now, he wasn't suggesting it. He said, give, 
and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaking together and running over will be poured into your lap for here's the key with the measure you use. It will be measured to you. Now, did you catch that? If you give with a thimble, you'll receive a thimble back. But God's thimble's a little bigger. If you give with a tablespoon, God will give you back with a tablespoon. But because he's God, his tablespoon's a little bigger. But, I mean, if you give with a dump truck, guess what? Beep, 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 beep. His dump truck is even bigger, okay? The measure you use, it'll be measured to you. But, you know, our tendency, our natural sinful tendency is not to share. It's to hoard. That's why you watch these television shows on hoarders. That's when we have more storage buildings than any nation on the planet. I mean, it's it's crazy how much junk we hang on to that that we don't really need. You need to just give it away. I I heard about a guy that went into a a department store. He went up to the cosmetics counter and he said to the lady there, he said, I want to buy some perfume for my girlfriend. So she brought out a nice bottle of perfume. It was a hundred dollars and he said, no, that's a little too expensive. So she brought out a smaller bottle for $50. And he said, no, that's still a little bit too expensive. And uh, then she pulled out a bottle of cologne. She said, this is only $30. He said, you don't understand. I want you to show me something really cheap. So she reached under there and pulled out a mirror and held it up to his face. <laughs> yeah, see, that's, that's our tendency is just get by with as little as we can. You know, Longview is blessed in many ways. But one way that Longview is blessed is that that you are the proud home of Letourneau University, the Christian Polytechnic University in the world. And many of you probably worked there, some of you've gone there. And R.G. Letourneau was an amazing man. He he grew up dirt poor in Vermont. And then dirt ended up making him rich because he, he had over 300 patents. And one of them was the bulldozer. Another was the offshore oil rig. And during World War II, his earth moving equipment was active for 70% of the dirt that was moved during World War II. And then, of course, they established Letourneau University. Basically, Evelyn did his wife. But when they first got married, they didn't have a lot of money, but they decided that they would do a reverse tithe that they would live on 10% of what they made and they would give away 90% to the work of God. And here's what R.G. Letourneau says in his book, Mover of Men and Mountains. My focus has always been not how much of my money I give to God, but how much of his money I keep for myself. I've discovered that I can't outgive God. God, I shovel it out. And God shovels it back. But like I said, but God has a bigger shovel. Okay, that's God's cycle. Finally, what about God's promise? This is the fourth and final of these pillars of God's economy. When I honor God, he will supply all my needs. It doesn't say all your wants, all your needs. And, you know, according to the Bible, we don't need a whole lot. We need food. We need clothing. We need a roof over our head. But we don't need a whole lot. A lot lot of what we want is just extras, luxuries, things like that. Paul was in prison writing back to the church at Philippi, basically thanking them for the gift that they had sent him in prison. Because in prison, 
they didn't provide you food and meals there like we do with Texas Corrections. You had to pay for your own. And if somebody didn't give you money, you would starve to death or you would die from exposures. So they had sent him a gift and he was, he was saying thank you. And he said to them, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. One of the greatest movies that Hollywood ever made was Chariots of Fire about, about the life of Eric Liddell, who, as you know, he was running in the 1924 Olympics in Paris, but refused to run on Sunday because of his personal convictions about not running on Sunday. And so they, he was just going to be disqualified, but instead they put him in the 400-meter race, which was on a different day. And just as he was lined up for the race, an American racer came over and handed him a little piece of paper, and he unfolded it, and it was a verse from the Old Testament that said this, He who honors me, I will honor. And Eric Liddell crumpled up that piece of paper and held it in his hand, and although that was not his, his, his specialty, he won that race and won the gold medal but sometimes people don't understand the, the end of the story. He, he, he became a missionary to China. And there, where he was uh, working at an orphanage there, the Japanese took over the orphanage and they killed him. They killed him. And the greatest award that he won was not that gold medal in the Olympics. The greatest award he won was when he was told in heaven, well done, good and faithful servant. And so, honor me, God says, and I will honor you. How, how do we honor God? There are a lot of different ways to honor God, but according to Proverbs 3, here's one way you can honor God. Look at Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. So, how do you honor God? I want to share with you a financial plan that my wife and I have practiced for almost all of our marriage, and I've, I've shared it hundreds of times. I don't know that it's original with me. I'm, it's pretty, pretty simple, pretty common. But I call it the 10-10-80 plan, and here it is. If you really want to honor God with your income, here's what you do. Number one, you give the first 10% of your income to support God's work. And, and the Bible calls that a tithe. See, so many people are confused about a tithe. They think it's a religious word. It's not. It's just a math word. It means tenth. It's like the word quarter or the word half. It's a percentage. I say that because through the years I've had some sincere but unknowing people come to me and say, well, pastor, I can't tithe 10% yet, but I'm working on tithing 5%. Well, no, that doesn't make sense because the word tithe means 10%. You know, we, we used to have in front of the building there at Green Acres a beautiful, a large, larger-than-life nativity set right there on Troop Highway. And a lady had donated very expensive figurines uh, that some company in Germany had made. So one year, somebody stole baby Jesus. Can you believe that? They stole baby Jesus. And so we thought they would bring him back because I heard that there's a tradition somewhere that you don't put Jesus in the manger until Christmas night. Well, nobody put him back. So the next year we put uh, just a, a toy baby doll in there. But then that year, somebody stole all three of these beautiful, tall, ornate, wooden wise men. I mean, we, we, you know, we put a complaint with the Tyler Police Department. And I guess they said, be on the lookout for seven foot tall wise guys. <laughs> 
So who, who, who do you think would stoop low enough to steal from a church? Sometimes we kind of get angry at people like that. But, you know, in Malachi chapter 3, God says, you, you have robbed me. And you say, how have we robbed you, God, with your tithes and offerings? And then here's what God says in Malachi 3.10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And then circle that. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Abraham commenced the tithe. Moses commended the tithe. And Jesus, com- uh, he commended it also. He, uh, Moses commanded it. Jesus commended it. Because the only time he talked about tithing, he said, you scrupulous scribes and Pharisees, you tithe all, even the spices from your garden. He said, you ought to have done that. But without leaving the weightier things undone, like truth and justice and mercy. And so this is the only place in the Bible God says, test me. I've been through this book lots of times and God tests us a lot. We know that we get tested a lot. But this is the only place God ever says, you can test me in this. All right. So that's the first part of this 10, 10, 80. The second part is number two, save the second 10 percent of your income for future expenses. I mean, seriously, set aside at least these are these are minimums. These first two are minimums, a minimum of 10 and a minimum of 10 to save minimum of 10 to God, a minimum of 10 to save to keep you from drowning in debt. And Americans are drowning in debt right now. For every $1,000 that American consumers are making, they are spending $1,300 in debt, drowning in debt. And you cannot really have freedom until you are out of bad debt. Now, if you owe money on something that appreciates like a house or if you borrow money to go to school or something like that, that's going to produce income, that's okay. But just about any other kind of debt that you're paying exorbitant interest on is bad debt, especially credit card debt. So set aside that, and soon you'll be able to pay cash. And that's in the Bible, too. In Proverbs 6, 6, it says, Take a lesson from the ants. Yeah, the little ants. They labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. There are seasons of wintertime economically. There are seasons of summertime economically. Be wise and save. And then number three, manage to live on 80% of your take-home pay. Manage to live on 80% of your take-home pay. Now, that, sometimes that's hard. For some people, for you right now, it might be impossible. You probably can't raise your income, so what does that mean? You have to lower your expenses. Every family ought to have a budget. A budget is a real simple thing. Income, outgo. Okay? Income, outgo. And if your income exceeds your outgo, your upkeep will be your downfall. In other words, you need to manage. You may have to cut some expenses to do this, but it would be worth it. It'd be worth it. So I, I issued at Green Acres for over 25 years what I call a generosity challenge. And here's what it is. I know some of you are already giving at least a tithe. God bless you. Keep it up. You know how blessed you are. You know, how, you know what it means to have the windows of heaven opened up. But if you're not, I challenge you personally, start this month. Start February 2022. Try it for six months, just six months, okay? But stick with it. Don't, 
Don't pay the leftover. Pay it first to the Lord before you pay any other bills. And at the end of six months, if you are not more blessed, I didn't say richer. That's not what we're talking about. I'm just saying more blessed because God's not a slot machine. If you are more blessed after six months of tithing than you are right now, you come and tell me about it and we'll talk about it. And if it's true, I will close this book. I will walk away. I'll, I'll renounce the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'll never preach another message. Because if John 3.16 is true, then Malachi 3.10 is true. But if Malachi 3.10 isn't true, how do we know that John 3.16 is true? And through the years, not one single person has come to me and said, Pastor, I tried it and my life is miserable. I'm not more blessed. But I have had hundreds of letters and emails when people say, oh, pastor, you're so right. God has blessed me so awesomely since I took that challenge. So my friend, it's not between you and this church, it's between you and God. You give his money through Moberly to support God's work. Let's pray. Father, thank you for allowing us just to teach your simple truth about generosity. And Lord, we know that it is thankfulness that motivates generosity. And so I pray, Lord, that you'll just create a, a congregation of people with thankful hearts and it will result in generosity. And Lord, I pray for those families or that individual who's not yet honoring you with the tithe. And I pray, Lord, that they'll try it. And as you t invite us in your word, that they will put you to the test. Because I know, Lord, you have never failed that test and you never will. Thank you, Lord, for this church and the generosity that al already expresses it. May you continue to... to Allow us to give more and more to support more and more ministries here and around the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.